Hello, everyone. Um, this is the going to be a one-off, just Bible 101 podcast. Uh, my name is Hunter Brin. I'm with the Virginia United Methodist Conference Center. I'm the digital media specialist. Um, and today I'm joined by two awesome pastors from the VAUMC. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Matthew Smith up in Arlington and Taylor Burtons in Roanoke. How are you guys? Very well. Doing well. Well, let's just start and have you guys introduce yourselves. Tell me a little bit about uh, you guys and, and where you guys are at in your churches. <laughs> okay, I guess I got nominated first. Um, so my church is located um, in what has been known as Crystal City in Arlington, Virginia, right beside uh, Ronald Reagan National Airport. Um, also now relabeled National Landing because of Amazon arriving here and so there's tons of construction going on i'm in a medium-sized church that um is blessed to be in a community where folks can walk here and come and go so um we're blessed with a lot of visitors people who are just traveling through the area and seeing the hotels and whatnot of the community but a lot of residences also um so this is my eighth year under appointment at calvary I'm Taylor. I serve Raleigh Court United Methodist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. I have been here since the 1st of July, so my seventh month of this appointment. Still figuring things out, the lay of the land. Similarly to Matthew, the church I serve is a medium-sized church. It's in a community where a lot of people can walk to it. We're in the Grandin area of Roanoke, um, just not too far from downtown. Uh, Really love being here. Awesome church. A lot of young families. It's a pretty fun place to be. And I think this is my eighth year of ministry, ninth year, ninth year of ministry, I think, um, since graduating from seminary. So loving it and pretty psyched to talk about scripture today. Yeah, cool. So this is basically just going to be like basic information about the Bible, um, a who, what, when, where, why kind of podcast. Um, so I'm going to start with a kind of general question and hopefully you guys, this isn't too uh, out there philosophical, but what is the Bible? It's a book. Oh, of, of books. It's a book of books, yeah. Um, so what is the Bible in terms of, I guess, in comparison to like our religious beliefs? Um, like if, if I was to say I've never held a Bible before and I picked it up and I just said, what is this book? Like what would your answer be? I, I got asked that question last week from a confirmation class. And um, I think the, there's, the, there's uh, many right answers and some wrong ones too. I think what I erred on is saying, this, is, this helps us to understand God's involvement in humanity and God's work through us um, and um, helps us to understand ourselves more fully, uh, gives us access to understanding God in the most complete way that we can or the the primary mechanism for doing that, and um, and and it can be a guide to us. It's not an indexed uh, resource with you know. It's not a textbook. It's uh, it's not a, a history book, although it has history, right? It's it is a compilation of a lot of different liter- literature and literary styles, um, sharing with us the story of the people of God, and one unified story from the beginning to the end, but with lots of twists and turns along the way. I often say um, the Bible is the story of God. 
Um, it is the story of God and God's people, uh, but it's always primarily about God and only secondarily about us. Um, and so, like Matthew said, we, we read it, we return to it to learn more about who we are, but more than anything, we return to it to learn more about who God is. Yeah. Okay. I guess that kind of begs the question of who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting, yeah. So, right. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. I do believe that. And, and yet uh, it's not, um, it's, it's a compilation of maybe as many as 40 people, right? There's, there's a lot of different people who God used to, um, to, to transcribe the things that occurred and first person experiences and to share their own poetry and whatnot to help us understand God more fully. And so there's a lot of people down through time, but these are, these are often people who had access to uh, firsthand information or had access to the other um, um, manuscripts and, and things, uh, parchments and whatnot to help put together what had happened in the past. If it was the Old Testament, New Testament is more, um, more first person or there are their apprentices sharing that. So it's safe to say that the Bible is written by like a plethora of people who lived the experience. Because I guess, I guess well, another question I would have is like, you know, is the Bible nonfiction or fiction? Yeah, so one of the things that I often think about and talk about is um, the Bible rejects more often than not the labels that we put on it. Um, I think it's Harawas who says the, the, the closer we get to being sure we know what the Bible says, the, the only thing we can be sure of is that we're worshiping an idol. Um, the, the Bible it has all of the literary forms and it. it has poetry. It has fiction. It has nonfiction. It has law. It has genealogy. It has lists. I mean, it has everything, um, but to try to label it as um, this is something I do on one of the podcasts I host on strangely warmed. I often ask people to say like, if you had to describe the Bible in a tweet or on a bumper sticker, what would you say? And I ask it because that's such a bad question to ask. Um, the whole point of the Bible is it can't be sort of like compartmentalized and put into a box. It, it rejects all of our attempts to do so. Yeah, it even has his literary styles within one book, right? It'll have multiple where something is meant to be more metaphorical or, you know, it's a story that Jesus told. He made up stories. He told them. He made, you know, he's saying as much uh, in his parables, but that doesn't mean that it's not a truth, right? A good Samaritan story might not have happened, right? Jesus telling his a parable or uh the prodigal son but and yet it is true um and it speaks to a larger truth i, I, I want to go back to like you you mentioned um who wrote it this isn't i think it's i think this is one of the misperceptions of the bible um especially for those who who don't have a rich experience in the life of the church they'll say well you christians believe you know basically what other religions believe about how they're holy scriptures came together um you believe god just handed this down or or the or that it had you know it was a whole bunch of people who just put it together and it wasn't um any kind of consensus or that and it's it's not that easy for us right we we are we are not of the belief that um you know with as as with muhammad or with joseph smith that it's a matter of transcribing what god had um placed in on on tablets or had spoken uh, through the spirit 
it was um, them reflecting upon those things and writing it down or letters that uh, we are blessed to be able to have from Paul and uh, some of the early Christians to other churches. And so a lot of it is um, people of faith finding what was meaningful and sharing that with each other to encourage one another. Now, I, I've talked about this a little bit on another podcast, but there are, are there books that are, that were written that aren't included in the Bible and who decides what gets put in the Bible and who, what doesn't get put in the Bible? So this, uh, similarly, when we're talking about off, uh, the authors of scripture, um, I, I can remember being in school and a professor standing up and saying, if you believe Moses himself wrote the first five books of the Bible, I'm here to help you understand that that's not true. And uh, some people lost their faith because of that, um, because they kind of were hanging all of what they believed on the fact that Moses was the one that wrote these things. Um, the longer I'm in ministry, the less I care about who wrote what. Um, like there's a lot of debates about the authority of the Pauline epistles, like which ones are authoritatively Paul, which ones are written by someone. And, and people have gotten a lot of PhDs um, trying to answer those <laughs> questions. For us on Sunday, um, we say this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And um, we say that it's, it's God's word. And the way that that came to be, we can talk about the Council of Nicaea in 325. We can talk about the kind of infighting that they had about, well, this book says this, and this book says this, which one is more in line with the canon. And that's the big word. It's, it's the canon in, in the whole of scripture. And something I think we'll probably talk about again before we're done, but it's important for us to realize that throughout the first three to four centuries of the church, when they were trying to debate and figure out what are we going to call Holy Scripture, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of fights and drag out uh, even, like physical fights even um, about what should be included in the canon and what shouldn't be included in the canon. And so, like a very very small example of this, the fact that we have four gospels is really remarkable to me. It would have been really easy to say, okay, well, Matthew seems to have all the good bits. We're only going to have one gospel. It tells the story of Jesus's life. But the early church said, no, we have four different stories, four different versions of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they all have something to say about who God is. And we're including all of them. That, I mean, it's hard to take a step back from that and think about how remarkable that is when we just grow up hearing them all the time. But that's pretty profound. 1700 years ago, the church said, no, it's better if we have this multiplicity of understandings of who God is rather than just this one thing. How much richer is our faith because of that? I mean, right, exactly. I'm so grateful that there's not just Matthew or John or whatever. It's, it's such a blessing to, but that speaks to why we have it. Not, it, it is, you know, there were, you know, many, many years before these were codified into something called a canon. I think it was at 397 that, that that officially finally happened, but they had been used by the churches and by people of faith and by pastors proclaiming the word of God and by communities and houses and whatnot and catacombs for, for those centuries before that, for those years before. And so um, while there was argument and discussion um, 
there was uh, there was a part of the assessment of whether what made it into the canon is okay. Yeah, we have a sense of who the, what the authorship is, but we also find this to be consistent and true to what the other scriptures are saying, and it's true to what we witnessed, right? As far as the New Testament, looking at at the Gospels and looking at um, particularly the Gospels, but also Acts of the Apostles. Yes, I was there. I saw that thing. We affirmed that, and there were some things that were written. Um, some Gnostic gospels um, and others who were trying to proclaim a hidden, hidden realities that nobody had heard about. Saint make, uh, making statements about Jesus when he was a child and resurrecting a person, or or giving life to birds and stuff like that. That 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 others could not confirm or affirm, and said, "So we are not going to receive that because it's trying to set the world in a." In a different frame of mind than the Old Testament does, uh, and we see instead a continuity through the Old Testament into Jesus being a fulfill fulfillment, and these are the things that we can witness that he did, and these are the things we want to affirm, and the, another one of the tests was this was useful to us, like to hear, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about that, that story or this experience. And it was of use to the formation of the early church and to understanding who God was and understanding who we were. And so it was being used. It was true. We had a sense of authorship. Uh, these are the things that were used to determine what fit into the canon. And um, certainly there were things that were not included. And in the and then there's the something called the Apocrypha, which Catholics have in, um, but was not part of the, the commonly held canon of the Hebrew scriptures, um, that it was coming together during the life of Jesus, but hadn't been codified yet into a canon. And, and so Protestants, in looking at going back to the original text, didn't include the Apocrypha uh, Second Temple um, scriptures into our official canon of Old and New Testament. There's all these weird things too that we we know to some degree. Some of it it's speculation, but there was a, a long-held standard of something called the criterion of embarrassment, which I find to be sort of endlessly fascinating. When you look at the New Testament, um, the the people who helped form the canon said and held this belief that if there's a story about the apostles that's embarrassing, it's probably true. Which is to say, if you if you sat down right. to write a story of, of your life, why would you want to include these these bits that are embarrassing? For instance, Peter did not, you know, sort of getting in trouble with Jesus and Jesus saying, "Get behind me, Satan." That that really put paints Peter in a pretty bad light. And if we take seriously that Peter's the the leader of the early church, human nature would be, "Hey, I, hey guys, remember that time that he said, get behind? Like, we don't need to write that one down. Okay, right. let's just like skip over that bit. But so whenever you find a story, particularly in the Gospels and in Acts, where something's embarrassing with the disciples, um, you can you can trust that it's true because otherwise, why would you remember that story? I mean, there's just like all these fascinating things. And that's part of what I adore about the whole of the scriptures. And that includes the Hebrew scriptures. And is that you've got, it's not like, here, be like this, be like this, be like this, be like this. It's, oh, life is messy and you're not perfect. And this person that we hold up to high esteem of great faith was really deeply flawed. Be aware of the of the proclivities that we have and the and the deception that we can allow into our hearts and, and the proud, pride that we can generate. And here are all the lessons and even some of the greatest end in a, in a story that's maybe not the best, right? Moses or David, or, and it's, and it's so it's so it's it's not just idealism, 
And that's also a notion I, I get with talking to agnostic friends or, or those who don't really know the scriptures. They'll be like, yeah, you're just trying to one wonderful story. Of, no, 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 no. You, you need to read this because it really has so much nuance and uh, it's more realistic than that, frankly. And I appreciate that they show us their flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, every time you guys are saying canon, all I can think about is Star Wars. <laughs> Like, you know, like nerds are like, oh, it's canon, Star Wars, canon, and Marvel. And so when you're saying canon, my brain is is going to. So there's are, there's not fan fiction of the Bible, is there? Yeah, there is. It's called preaching. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Uh, but like to like to use your analogy there, Hunter, like the Apocrypha might be the extended universe uh of of star wars you know like all the books mm-hmm. that used to that were written before before disney you sort of got it in acquisition and then they said this is no longer canon like that's kind of, like that's a, way, a more modern sort of parallel to what, mm-hmm. what has happened with scripture um but yeah fan fiction is called preaching fun never really thought of it that way but it makes a lot of sense um so we now we have a bunch of translations of the bible so i kind of want to talk about that a little bit and because i feel like that kind of goes into what we were just talking about you know we have niv we have the king james version uh i personally like the nlt why are there so many different translations and is there a right translation we should be reading matthew what do you use on sunday pardon i think you asked what you you use I tend to use like NRSV still. I, I, you know, it, it's that which I received in um, transitioning from NIV when I was in my student Bible when I was in high school into having the NRSV uh, in religious studies classes and through seminary. And I, I appreciate that it doesn't take too many liberties um, and, and re- rename things like the covenant to like some other name that's I'm not going to recognize necessarily, or, or that might be too far of a reach. That said, what I've tended to use as of the last several years is CEB, Common English Bible, for the confirmation classes. Um, it's a little bit more approachable. I, I, I guess that answers your question right there, is that I don't feel like there's one. That I, I really enjoy the fact that we have a lot of different translations. And, uh, you know, it, you know, I just, I, while I like to study, use the different translations and hearing it so that I can understand meaning of it uh, in a deeper way or in a new way than I had heard it or considered it before, I still like certain translations for certain passages. Of, uh, I, I want the King James Version of the 23rd Psalm, for instance, right? Um, there's uh, richness and beauty and poetry to uh, that writing. And obviously, we have a development of lots and lots of different writings. Uh, we have the development of the printing press with the uh, you know, adventing at this, around the same time there as the Protestant Reformation. And part of the Protestant Reformation's movement was allowing God's holy word to be in the vernacular of the people, whatever that vernacular is, whatever that language. So German and English and French and whatnot. And so we're blessed to have many translations of the Bible. And, and you know, it's not written in those languages, right? It's written in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew. And so We've got um, everything is a little bit imperfect. It requires people to study right, what was 
what's the literal definition of that word or what is the meaning of that word and trying to identify somewhere between those two, depending on whether it's more of a scholastic uh, interpretation or more of a uh, common language like the Message Bible uh, and some others. And so I have, I don't know, probably 12 versions of the Bible <laughs> on my shelf, German translations. I'm interested in what, how you all feel. So when I was in school, um, the answer to the original question, Hunter, would be um, you have to learn Hebrew and you have to learn Greek. Because um, if, if, if you want to know the scriptures, because that's, that's what they were written in originally. Um, and it's hard to learn another language, particularly when they're we're both sort of dead to some, I mean, Koine Greek is kind of dead, not really. But um, so I, let me push my glasses up for a second. I pulled my Greek New Testament out for a second. Uh, so I took Greek in, in school. I took Koine Greek so that I could read the New Testament in Greek because it's, it's weird. Um, you think scripture is weird, like your NRSV that you read, like read it in Greek, the, the way that grammar works and construction, it's just kind of bizarre. And it takes a long time to figure out how to read it. And uh, David Bentley Hart, the theologian, put out a translation of the New Testament a couple of years ago that holds on to the weirdness of the grammar and puts words in a certain place. So it's, it doesn't read well, let's say, like in a confirmation class or from mm -hmm. a pulpit on Sunday morning. But if you're just reading to see the sense of what, it, how confusing it would have been to hear it and read it originally, that's like a pretty good New Testament translation. Um, the cynical answer is the reason there are so many versions of the Bible is because publishing houses really like making money. Exactly. The fact that we have new translations come out all the time. It's uh, yeah. I, we're talking about dozens of words that change in an entire book. And I really, I mean, sometimes it's kind of hard to just not see it as something that just makes people a lot of money. Um, I like Matthew prefer the NRSV one, because that's what I grew up hearing Sunday after Sunday. And I think it holds pretty closely to the, at least in the new Testament, I don't know Hebrew, so I can't speak about the old Testament and the NRSV, but it holds pretty well to the, to the new Testament. And it, it holds on to things that have sometimes um, been glossed over. Like for instance, the message is a really popular version of the Bible that gets talked about a lot, but it is a version of the Bible. It is not a translation of the Bible. So it, you have to be careful with that. It can be helpful to help you see things from a different light, but it's not, it's not someone taking the Greek New Testament and trying to make it word for word. So there's so, so, so many of them out there and it's, 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 it's tough. Yeah, the message was one I was going to ask about because um, I know so many people who say they'd prefer to read the message over like NLT or even NIT or anything like that. Um, but cool. So um, kind of to keep going on to our questions here, uh, the next one I have is how often should you be reading the Bible? Yeah, I mean, I I think you should be reading it a lot. I think I should be reading it even more. I I I mean, you know, there's the the trope, uh, you know, you shouldn't you know, just read the Bible, let it read you, kind of a thing. That it is not just for information; that it's a forming thing. It's for inf and you know, and and I, I like those notions. And and yet, if I get out of the spiritual discipline of of doing my daily reading and writing from the scriptures, then I, it's to my loss. Uh, there's a, the richness of that. So I, 
I, you know, I'm with a clergy accountability group that I've been in for about, I think we've been together for 16 years. And, you know, one of the things we do every week is we, we share with each other how many of our readings and writings we've done of walking through a set of scripture and writing down the questions and thoughts that come to mind and what we feel as if we're hearing through that. And I find that inc incredibly enriching and it's easy to get away from it because I'm also preparing for sermons and Bible studies. I've heard a lot of people say it's better to be a servant of the word rather than a master of the text. Mm. And I've, I've always sort of liked that distinction. Um, this circles one of the first questions and uh, how often we should read it, I think is a good question, but how we should read it, I think is perhaps a more important question. If you're reading it just to consume it, just to try to get from the very beginning to the very end as quickly as you can, this, uh, the Bible ain't Harry Potter. Um, it's not the same kind of thing, the way that we consume it, the, the, the reason we consume it, it's not to just get to the end and then put it back on the shelf. There's a reason Christians for 2000 years have been holding this book up Sunday after Sunday and reading the same words over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so I think we should read it all the time. Uh, if you're a Christian, it's probably a good thing to read it every day. If not every day, you should be reading it at least every week in corporate worship. Um, read it to me is really fascinating. Um, a, a theologian I, I really love, Robert Farrar-Capon said, we have to stop reading it like it's, Matthew said earlier, it's not an instruction manual for morality. It's not a history book. It's, it's none of those things. He said that we should read the Bible like we watch a movie. Hmm. That is, you can't decide what a movie means 10 minutes into it. The only way you can understand what a movie means is getting to the end. And again, back to the canon, it, it can only be seen as a whole. And so this is one of the challenges, about, let's say, preaching and, and worship, because you're taking these discrete parts on Sunday and you're saying, that's what it says. Um, okay. But it's also important for us to say, well, how does this little part relate to the whole? And so I, so I, you know, I know Hunter, you love movies and I love movies. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think a lot about what it means to think about scripture as a movie that you're consuming the entirety of. So we talked about Star Wars before. I mean, I've seen Empire Strikes Back dozens upon dozens of times. This is my all time favorite movie. And I find something new in it every time I return to it, which is not like what happens when I read scripture. I see things I didn't see before, but you cannot understand it unless you have a sense of the whole. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when we're talking about the whole, because I, I enjoy reading like the gospels and I like reading Psalms and Proverbs and even some Old Testament, like the big stories of creation. You like reading Exodus. Proverbs? Wait a I mean, minute. I, I don't mind reading, like reading Proverbs? Proverbs. They're not bad. But Will Willman said, Willman says that uh, reading proverbs is like being stuck in a car on a road trip with your mother-in-law <laughs> i don't i mean i don't pick it up and read i like i like do the uh like one or two verses every every few times i pick it up but like then you have books like numbers like when you're talking about seeing it as a whole why is there like huge lists of people or like the huge line of genealogy like you have john is married to so-and-so who birthed this person and this person See, that's the part where I'm reading that I get like really stuck at because like I don't understand <laughs> why I need to know. Like I have the Bible here and I got numbers pulled up and it's like 
this is the number of men 20 years old or older who are able to go to war. And then it's a list of their names. Um, so for me, like when you're saying reading as a whole, I, I understand like reading the gospel, but like, why is like numbers and some of that genealogy stuff included? So uh, just first, um, Robert Jensen has this great quote where he says, um, God is whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having first raised Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And the dead is an exodus for the rest of us. And it only is intelligible when read in light of what God did for God, people, Israel. And so when you read about these names in a genealogy, okay, so this is a little tangential, but the ancestry um, market, we talked about money earlier, the, the number one money-making thing on the internet, is pornography, and the number two money-making thing on the internet is genealogy and ancestry research. Interesting. People spend almost as much money on pornography as they do on trying to figure out who their ancestors are, <laughs> which there's a whole sermon series there. But I, I think the genealogies are incredible because what do we do when we get together with our family? We talk about our, who came before us. We ask our parents to tell us stories, stories about their parents. That's why we, we have family trees because we, we are who we come from. Mm -hmm. And that's why those names are there. I, I, on the first Sunday, no, the, sorry, the Sunday after Christmas, I preached on the, the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew's gospel. And I, I tried to, in 15 minutes, go through as many of them as possible and say, hey, this is to Matthew's point earlier, like, look at these idiots. These are a bunch <laughs> of fools. This person's sinners. included. Can you believe? <laughs> yeah. You think your family's bad? The one you just had to deal with on Christmas? Check out Jesus's family tree. Um, it's it's because again, what scripture reveals to us is who we are, and that is that we're a, a bunch of um pretty rotten scoundrels, and yet God has come for us anyway. And so the names, the numbers, they're all of a piece. They're all uh, showing us who God is for God's people. Absolutely. And you know, obviously, the, you know, it's good news for us that this, this good news of a Jewish Messiah come to earth uh, is extended to the Gentile people. It's, it's good news for the world, not just for the group of people whom God has chosen to help to reveal the blessings of, of our life with God uh, through the Old Testament. And, and yet... We have to understand Jesus as a as a first century Jew, right? We have to understand that Jesus was uh, unabashedly be believing in one God, and yet, as he reveals, uh, he is God, heaven's not empty when he's down here. Uh, there's still the Father, and he's still the Son, and there's a Holy Spirit, and it, and yet, so if you don't have that notion from the Old Testament carrying in you're really unhinged. And I think that's what a lot of ancestry does. It, 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 it grounds us and helps connect us to that, which went before and gives us um, layers of depth and understanding and meaning and warnings. And I appreciate that. So this brings up a question in my head is like, um, let's say you're talking to a confirmation class and they're, they're new to the Bible and they want to pick it up and they want to start reading it. What is the best way for someone to, to kind of read the Bible? Do you pick it up and you start on page one and you start from Genesis and you go all the way to Revelations and do it that way? Or is it something where it's like, you know, I'm really struggling with, um, I don't know, 
pornography or something since we've already talked about it and you have one of those bibles that has the index on the back where it's like it has all the topics and stuff <laughs> that you can say okay right. this uh here's a section that uh, here's some verses that talk about pornography or which might not be i don't know or or maybe lusting would be the thing but you would you would go to that page and say here's the scripture that is relating to the issue that i'm dealing with is that a better way to read it or is it something where it's like you read it from genesis to revelation like how how would you guys tell someone to read the bible i i, I would encourage them to do so with others um and i think that's part of the benefit of a of, of us having like, oh, we're working through the Bible together because then you have people to ask questions of. I mean, context matters. It, ma it makes a huge difference. And if you open and, uh, any part of the Bible and read it as if it's the same type of literature or it's history or it's trying to tell you this and it's not, or it's giving you an illustration or it's, or it's a letter, then, then that's really going to be unhinging. You know, people have opened Philemon and said, ah, see, this is teaching us that the slavery is okay. That's not what Paul was doing there, and it's and it matters, right? And so it's very easy to take things out of context, and of course, to to write them in our own image, right? To interpret them to say what we want them to say, um, and so I would suggest that you know it's helpful to be with others and to to I, I hope that people are reading their Bible by themselves, but I hope then they come together with questions and conversation. And so at, in our um, confirmation class. Every year I choose a different gospel for us to start walking through, but we we do daily reading from the scripture. And then at, at the next confirmation class, we talk about what were your questions? What were your thoughts? Mm -hmm. You don't have to share. It's like a journal. If you don't want to share, you don't have to. But where are you? What was something that you took away with from this? And so that way we can help to answer questions. And sometimes, you know, we just get things wrong, right? We're like, mm -hmm. well, you know this seems like they were over here in this country doing this and like, yeah, so that's, that's 500 years off. And they were over here, you know, that, that context can, can really help. So I would, I would encourage that you do work through a whole text, um, a book of the Bible. Um, and, and I think it is helpful to read the whole Bible at some point uh, from start to finish, but, but it's helpful to do so with the ability to be in dialogue with others so that you can come to understand it more fully. So if we, so let's say we have someone listening to this podcast and if you're listening to this podcast and this is you, I think this is helpful. I hope this is helpful. So let's say we have someone listening to this podcast and they're saying this Bible book sounds really cool. I've never read it before. Where should they start? Is it like, or do you want, like, I know you just said kind of starting with one book and kind of reading through that book and then going through with people, but where would they like open the Bible to? Or what would you suggest they open the Bible to? Taylor, what are your, what are your thoughts? I want, I want to hear. Yeah, so I can remember in college uh, getting frustrated by the Gideons who were always hanging out on campus, giving out their Gideon Bibles to, to kids who were just going to throw it away anyway. But the Gideon Bibles only have the Psalms and the New Testament. And I always thought that was such foolishness. Like mm -hmm. if you're going to give, you got to have the whole thing. But the more I think about it, especially regarding your question, Hunter, like, that's not a bad place to start. If you have the Psalms and the gospel, that's, that's not, if you, if you only have a few parts, that's, that's not bad. Uh, I just, I just really do want to underscore to what Matthew said um, that Stanley Harris is this great essay about how the best thing we can do is take the Bible away from North American Christians, because the fact that we put a Bible in front of every pew on Sunday makes it seem like we all get to decide means individually. And that's never happened in the history of the church until now. Uh, you can only understand scripture with other people. Um, 
that's why you don't worship by yourself. You worship as a church, as, as the body, you know, as this gathering of people. Anyway, uh, if you had to read one thing for a long time, I might've said the gospel of Mark. So I love the gospel of Mark. And it's also short. It's only 16 chapters. I think if you're reading it out loud, you can do it in 75 minutes. Um, but I, I think Luke might be the better storyteller. So if you, if you had to only read one book and you needed to start somewhere, I'd pr- I think I'd say Luke. Yeah, this is so hard for me. I can't, I just, everything in me does not want to answer this question. And yet I, it's a good question. And I, uh, I mean, I had to make a choice for confirmation class. One, one, like last year, I think we chose Matthew to walk through Matthew first. Uh, a couple of years before that, it was Luke. And we've done all four of the gospels. This year, I chose the gospel of John. And um, I love the emphasis on, on, the, on the divinity of Christ that you get in that, the I am's. Um, but I love the historian Luke, right? So I, you know, and and pithy Mark, who's like, now this, now this, this next thing. And uh, if you want your miracles, and you want, you know, that's that's great for for Mark. I I would start if a person is going to be starting from scratch, and they're not going to probably read through the whole Bible in conversation with others, which is a rarity, right? Then I would say, yeah, start with the Gospels, and you know any of the four, but I, I would probably lean towards John, even though it's not as much of a chronological story with the birth of Christ and all the rest. Um, and so that's what we're doing in confirmation. We're doing the gospel of John, but then we're going through the whole of the Bible and larger swaths beginning in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy and coming through. So I hope to then give them the context for where the gospel is located. Cool. Um, so personally, my favorite is, is I, I love the gospel of John. I love the gospel of Luke. I love Philippians. I adore the letter of Philippians. So I, I usually send them to Philippians, uh, after we've done Genesis and Exodus. So nice. Um, so we'll keep going just for the sake of time. Uh, the last question I kind of have is, do we read the Bible literally or metaphorically? Like, did Moses truly part the seas in a literal sense, or is that a uh, a, a fictional story that is, we're taking metaphorically? So I, I've changed my perspective on this over the years, and I, I think I was encouraged more to read it metaphorically as I was in education. And I think that there's, um, so first of all, you know, what, what we see in the New Testament is people saying this happened at this place in this, he was born in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. They mean that to mean literally and that Jesus did things. And I, and I absolutely take it that way. The historical are meant to prepare that. And obviously things like Job are not meant to say, so Job was literally like this and lived it. That is meant to be more of held in a sense of this as being archetypally true. Um, I, I don't know that I would use the word metaphorical, but perhaps um, that said, I think that there's a benefit in erring on the side of, of, of it being literal than erring on the other side. And I think that we should um, recognize that, you know, the, the Bible speaks to truths that I hold myself against, not that I go, well, I don't know about that one kind of a thing. So that's not a precise answer. It's, it's a tough question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In scripture, it always has to be gray. 
Um, <laughs> there's, there's the ditch of, of uh, fundamentalism where you take every word literally. And then there's also the ditch of liberalism where you say none of it happened. It's all just, you know, metaphorical. It, it, it's, it's really tough because it's somewhere in between. And, um, you know, I, there's this great line in Harry Potter where um, this, I hope this doesn't spoil anything for Harry Potter. <laughs> Anyone who doesn't encounter the Harry it's Potter story. It's been out long but, enough. I don't You're think you're going to give away what happens Potter. in Harry Potter. Well, something <laughs> in Harry Potter. There's this bit where Harry says to Dumbledore, is this, is this real or is it all happening in my head? And then Dumbledore's response is, response is something like, if it's happening in your head, why doesn't that make it real? Does it make it any less real if it's happening in your head? Um, you know, th there's great, great bit in the Bible, um, in the gospel of John, where Pilate is hanging out with Jesus and, uh, they're not hanging out, but, but I like to think about it that way. And the end of it is Pilate saying, well, what is truth? Mm -hmm. The Bible is true. Um, that's the answer. Uh, it's true. What that means in terms of literalism or metaphor, I mean, that, that, I don't know, we can, we can hash that out with each individual thing, but the Bible is true. It tells us who we are and it tells us who God is. Um, it's as simple and as complicated as that. And it's not the truth. Christ is the truth, right? Um, right, right, right. God right. is the truth. And so that's where that goes back to what Tom Taylor was indicating earlier. And I really appreciate which is we have to be careful of the idolatry of the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. It is not God. Uh, but it does reveal God to us. It does tell that which is uh, uh, the truth. It points to the truth. And so um, we don't worship a book or a collection of books or the people who are in it, but we do worship the God who helped to bring it to us. Yeah. Years ago, um, we did a at annual conference with Crackers and Grape Juice, a, um, a pub thing, a pub theology before annual conference one year. And we had Kendall come talk to us. And I asked him to reflect on well, what happens on Sunday morning when we have one of those scriptures that makes us really uncomfortable, like the concubine being cut into 12 pieces and sent to the 12 from the Old Testament? Can we say this is the word of God for the people of God? Thanks be to God. And he said, oh, absolutely we can. Because when we say that, we're not saying this is the word of God as in the Bible. We're saying the word of God as in Jesus Christ. And we can always be thankful for the revelation of God in Christ Jesus coming to be. So, um, the Bible is words about God, but the word of God, the divine logos is Jesus. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we got. I appreciate you guys coming on. Um, again, this is Taylor. Uh, and Taylor, you have a podcast too. Um, you don't want to do a little small pitch. Sure. If you want to know more about scripture, listen to Strangely Warmed. It's a lectionary based podcast. It comes out every single Monday. We've done it every Monday for six years, I think. Uh, it's um, an examination of the four lectionary texts for the coming Sunday. It's designed for preachers and lay people who want to either help prepare a sermon or tune their ears in for what they'll hear on Sunday morning. Every Monday, 30 minutes, talking about the four texts designed for Sunday. It's pretty fun. I have guests all the time. It's talking about the Bible. It's pretty fun. That relates very well to this podcast, so... Go listen. Uh, Matthew, do you have anything coming up that you want to pitch? I don't. I'm just some guy preaching at a church in Arlington, Virginia. But I'm grateful for your all's podcast. I'm glad that we can get the word out. Are you, guys, are you guys live streaming? Is there a way that if someone isn't in the Arlington area, they could watch you guys? 
Absolutely. So our website is calvarymethodist.org. And um, we have obviously a YouTube channel and Facebook, and we, we um, do uh, broadcasting to both of those on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. And of course, you can watch all the videos, sermons, or the services um, for way back uh, on that. And, and I invite you to do that. I invite, I love for those who are watching to do so. Or right. to join us live at, at, on Sunday mornings in that way. Well, check out these two pastors. They're great. Um, again, we have the 2022 Bible Challenge going on, and that is the Bishop's Challenge to read the Bible. Um, if you go to vaumc.org, you can see which scriptures you're supposed to be reading on what dates. Um, so enjoy that, and we will have some more surprises coming up uh, in relation to the 2022 Bible Challenge. Um, so stay tuned to our Facebook and everything on our website. And uh, we hope you have a good day.